Good morning everyone and good evening from Jerusalem. We're beginning um, our Pirkei Avot. This is our 12th session. We're going to be talking about Mishnah Yud Beis, Mishnah Yud Gimel, the 12th and 13th Mishnah of the first chapter, first Perik of Pirkei Avot. Very important Mishnah. Uh, Mishnais. And the reason they're important is because, um, not just these, but the ones that follow as well, it's our first introduction to a pair of people who are extremely familiar to us. Anybody who's ever studied Talmud would have heard of these names. Do you know the names? Hillel and Shammai. Hillel and Shammai are probably the two most famous people besides so there's one other very famous person in the Mishnah who's quoted a lot and his name is Rabbi Akiva but uh, and we'll get to him eventually but Hillel and Shammai two extraordinary people are quoted extensively throughout the uh, Mishnah or so it seems actually not really the case at all because we hear a lot about two schools of Jewish thought, one which was known as Beis Hillel, and the other one which was known as Beis Shammai. In fact, they are recorded more than 300 times in, uh, in the Talmud, in the Mishnah, as having disagreed over matters of halachic significance. And there are many, many stories about Beis Hillel and Beis Shammai, these two uh, very important schools of Jewish thought, methods of Judaism, uh, who, despite their differences, it would seem and it would appear agreed with each other more than they disagreed with each other, and certainly lived alongside each other uh, for quite some time without uh, ever getting into an argument and ultimately one would prevail over the other, but I'm going to get to that in a moment. It's even before I even tell you anything about what Hillel said or what Shammai said. Let's begin with Hillel. Before we begin with base Hillel, we're going to begin with Hillel. Who was Hillel? Hillel came from Bavel. He was descended from David HaMelech. He was descended through uh, his father from David HaMelech. And in fact, uh, he founded a dynasty that ultimately would control Jewish life, rabbinic Jewish life, religious Jewish life, for a couple of centuries or more. Uh, his grandson, we're going to hear in a moment, was Rabban Gamliel Hazokain, and he had a son called Shimon, then there was, he was Rab Shimon ben Gamliel, and then he had another son called Rabban Gamliel. Rabban Gamliel was the primary rabbinic figure of the Mishnaic period and he was at the time of Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yeza ben Hurkanus, Rabbi Yehoshua uh, very famously and we're going to get all of these people by the way all the names you've just heard we're going to become very familiar with their sayings and with their lives over the course of the next few weeks and months they are all going to be quoted but the foundational figure of this group of rabbinic greats was none other than Hillel, who came, he was born probably around 100, maybe 110 um, before uh, the common era, 
and he is purported to have lived to have lived till the age of 120 like two other great Jewish figures Jewish foundational figures one of them was Moshe Rabbeinu Moses lived we know for sure till 120 years old that's what's recorded at the end of Deuteronomy the end of Devarim and then Rabbi Akiva also lived till the age of 120 he died roughly around the time of the Bar Kokhba revolt and he lived after in fact he was born after Hillel had already died Hillel came from Bavel at the age of 40 around the year let's call it um, 70 before the common era why did he come he already was a rabbi in Bavel but he felt there was absolutely no way he could achieve the pinnacle of his dreams the ultimate um, Torah knowledge that was required of a rabbi that he wanted to be if he stayed in Bavel because at that time this was still very early on Bavel was not a community of scholars it wasn't until probably three four hundred years later that Babylon Bavel became a center of Torah scholarship until that time Bavel was still in terms of Jewish scholarship in terms of great rabbinic leaders a backwater it may have been a, a place of great Jewish wealth and there was probably a lot of Jewish culture many different Jewish communities but at that stage no great Jewish scholars no rabbinic leaders came from Bovel and Hillel didn't want to come from a place where no great rabbinic leaders emerged because he wanted he had this ambition to be the best of the best to be the greatest rabbinic leader that he could be and so he traveled to, to Eretz Israel. he traveled to the land of Israel where he wanted to get into the yeshiva of Shmaya and Aftalion do you remember them we learned about them last week Sameas and Polion the two great rabbis of the generation that preceded Hillel and Shammai kind of we'll see in a minute but Hillel came and guess what who wants the um, the man from Babylon from Bovel to interfere and to um, in, intrude into the yeshiva life of the yeshiva of Shmai and Aftalian. and as a result he was excluded he was told sorry you can't come in you're from Bovel sorry no entry to people from Bovel into our yeshiva and he had to lie on the roof and this is the story that uh, can be found in the Gemara he lay on the roof and it was snowing and he was bitter cold and as a result eventually they saw him there on the roof and he was half frozen and they brought him into the base medrash of Shmaya and Aftalion this is in the year roughly in the year 70 before the common era and he spent the next 40 years roughly at the feet of Shmaya and Aftalion these two great leaders and he became their most prominent disciple okay and uh, around the year um, 40 years later which was 30 before the common era he took over from Shmaya and Aftalion so remember it was during the period of Herod the Great Herod uh, was the king of Judea it was the tail end those of you who have heard my Jewish history lecture um, it was at the tail end of the Hasmonean period where really the Hasmonean 
dynasty had deteriorated beyond, beyond recognition, was no longer this great powerhouse of Judaism that it had once been. Herod himself was the son of an Idumean. He wasn't actually born a Jew. He was born into a convert family. He married into the Hasmonean family, married Mariamne. Of course, uh, like most of his relatives, he had her killed at some point. But the Hasmonean kingdom was more or less coming to a close and uh, it would eventually disappear completely. It was during this period that there were great disputes between the Sadducees, those who relied, as I've said in previous shiurim, on the literal interpretation of the Torah of uh, the five books of Moses and the prophets, and the Pirushim, those who relied on the vast body of material which was considered to be oral tradition, which they felt was much more um, authentic. They had what was called a Masura, a tradition, an ancient tradition, historic association between this material and the Torah, and this became had become the way to conduct oneself as, as, as Jews. Hillel represented the ultimate form of Pharisee. That means he took the Torah of Shema and Avtalion and the various other pairs that we already discussed in previous Shurim, and he became the exemplar of the Pirushim. He set up a yeshiva, he attracted Talmidim, and perhaps he was the first one to do so in a formal fashion. We don't have a base Shemaya and a base Avtalion. We don't have a base Shimon ben Shotach and your base Yehuda ben Taboi. We do have a base Hillel, which means that he was probably the first of the great Tanaim to set up a yeshiva, a school, where his methods and his system and his traditions, the traditions of his Rebbe, of um, Shmaya and Avtalion, would be not only taught but perpetuated beyond his own lifetime. I just want to spend a few brief words talking about Shammai, because one always assumes and you're going to see they're both going to be quoted here together, they are considered a pair, one assumes that they were roughly the same age. Actually, Shammai was no less than 50 years younger than, um, than Hillel. And he was born, think about it, he was born when Hillel was 50, which means he probably only came, became involved in Jewish study in the way that we understand it, in his teens, maybe he was 15, 16, which means that Hillel was 65 years old or more. And yet he, be he became a contemporary and eventually the successor of Hillel. Now, why is this important? Because we know, the Gemara tells us, that a bus coil, a heavenly voice emerged at some point and said that the law that one has to observe was the law of Beis Hillel. And you're not allowed to observe the uh, halachos, the uh, law as it was prescribed by Beis Shammai. But actually, the reason that that bus coil emerged or that tradition began was because between the age of Hillel. That means from the time that Hillel died until probably around the time that the, or just before the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, probably for, let's call it 60, 70 years, the laws of Judaism were determined according to Shammai. There's the very famous story 
about the rabbi who was looking into the closing of the canon and um, he was a very famous rabbi living in Jerusalem. He went up to his attic. He didn't want to be disturbed. And they all trundled up to the attic to discuss various halachic um, situations. It's a Gemara in Shabbos. It's a Mishnah in Shabbos, actually, but the Gemara goes into it in much greater detail. It tells us that on that day, on that day, 18 different laws were decided according to base Shammai. They took a vote and the stronger party, um, the majority, were Shammai people. They weren't Hillel people, which means that the dominant halachic force at that period of time, in that particular moment of Jewish history, was base Shammai, not base Hillel. Now, whoever it was that came up with the Baskel or the Baskel came down, we have to thank him because base Hillel's um, Piske Halocha, the way that Beis Hillel generally came up with solutions to halachic situations or the traditions that they held to be superior were, generally speaking, traditions that were more lenient than the positions that were taken by Beis Shammai. It would appear that Shammai and Hillel themselves were not either stricter or more lenient than each other. They had different methods of learning, to be sure, and we know from stories that they had very different personalities. But Shammai and Hillel, to, from what we can tell, there's not that much that's quoted in their name that's of halachic significance um, in terms of disagreements that they had between each other. And it appeared to have more or less agreed on everything. Now, Hillel was the Nossi. He was the president, as it were, of the Sanhedrin. And Shammai was the Avbeisdin. Hillel was much older than Shammai, and obviously during his lifetime he prevailed. After he died, Shammai became the, the Nasi, and he was such a great rabbi that they never appointed an Av Beisdin to serve alongside him. When he died in the year, I believe, 30 of the Common Era, which was quite some years after uh, Hillel had died, the person who was appointed to replace him was Rabban Gamliel Hazokain, the grandson of Hillel. So the, the um, methodology of Hillel once again was re-established and ultimately some years later it became the methods and the traditions of Hillel that took precedence over the methods and the traditions of Shammai. So that's a long introduction to this incredible dynamic partnership between Hillel and Shammai, these two foundational figures in terms of um, the history of Jewish observance, of Jewish law, they were so important and they are here quoted for the first time in Pirkei Avot. Um, we're going to begin by mentioning both their names and then we're going to say a number of things about Hillel's opinions regarding Jewish ethics. Now, as has been the case until now, but it's not been so evident or important to mention it, this Mishnah and the ideas presented to us in Hillel's name are actually representative of his character and his personality. And one must assume, if that's the case, that on all previous occasions where we have mentioned the um, sayings and statements of other rabbis in the Tanaitic period, that these were expressions of their personalities. 
that somehow they emulated this were if uh, um, they were it's as if there was a survey done and these rabbis were approached by somebody with a little um, notepad and they said listen rabbi if you were to sum up the most important thing in your life with regard to your rabbinic duties and your duties as a Torah scholar and your duties as a Jewish leader what would you say and they came up with these ideas and these ideas were preserved and recorded and they became what we know as Pirkei Avot. But what's the idea here is that if you want to understand the personality of the people who are being quoted in Pirkei Avot, just look at what's being said or at least the very first thing that's being said in their name. Says the Mishnah, Mishnah Yud Beis. Right, that only took 18 minutes, it wasn't too bad. The Mishnah Yud Beis, Hillel v'Shamai Kiblu Mehem. Hillel and Shammai received Torah, they became the um, inheritors of the Torah, they took the tradition forward in the name of and on behalf of Shmaya and Avtalian, Kiblu Mehem, they received it from them. And now we begin quoting Hillel. Hillel Oimer, Hevei Talmidov Shel Aharon. This in and of itself is an incredible statement because what he's going to be saying is, you should be somebody who is a lover of peace. Well, why not just say it? Hillel Oimer, Why does it have to say Because the um, the most important thing, if you are going to be somebody who is a seeker of peace, is not to be arrogant and self-important. And Hillel uh, emulates this idea by saying what he says, not in his own name, by saying, do you know why I'm, I say what I'm about to say? Because I am a disciple of Aaron the high priest. In other words, I am the recipient of a long line of tradition that what I'm about to say is extremely important. There is a humility, um, what we call in, uh, in Hebrew, hachna'ah, a submission to something which preceded him, and that enabled him to see everything in a positive light because he, he's not the center of his universe. He's not a narcissist who considers himself to be above everybody else around him. And he's dictating that one must be a lover of peace and somebody who chases after peace. He is saying, I'm simply um, putting myself in the shoes and living up to the tradition of Aharon Cohen, Aaron, the first and great high priest, of our tradition, who we know was an Oyev Shalom and a Roidev Shalom. What's an Oyev Shalom? An Oyev Shalom is somebody who loves peace. Surely everybody loves peace, right? I, one would assume that everybody loves peace. I would say that, um, first of all, everybody has a different definition of peace. Um, the word peace, we know, is derived from the Hebrew word Shalem, completeness. Why do you have to be complete to be peaceful? Because you can't say, I'm at peace with myself, but I don't like the other guy. You ha there has to be some kind of compromise in order for, them, for there to be peace. And when everybody manages to find a point of compromise, and if everybody manages to find some way of living with somebody else who they may not particularly like too much, there may be things about them that aren't perfect, then you've got something called shalom, shalom, shalem. They're complete because in and of themselves, they're incomplete. 
But when they manage to combine themselves with everybody else around them and find some way to cooperate, some way to be in touch with each other in a meaningful sense, then they are shalom, they are shalem. Be an ohev shalom. Look for ways of living with other people. God put you on this world not to live in your own ivory tower or just with people who are just like you. That, there's no point in that. Because then you don't need a Torah. That's called you know, selective humanism. Uh, just to understand what that means. If the only people you can get on with are the people who are exactly like you in every sense, then first of all, you're only going to get on with a very small sliver of humanity. And truthfully, it's not a very perfect sliver of humanity. The idea is being Ohev Shalom. Hillel was an Ohev Shalom. At every stage of the way, he was trying to find ways of reconciling himself with the people around him and finding something positive to say about them. Like the legendary um, Reb Levi Yitzchok of Berdichev. Whatever you would say to him about a Jew, if it was negative, he would find some positive aspect of what you were saying to, to be don lechavzchus, to find merit in that person, even though they appear to be not perfect, at least in the eye of those who are looking at them, he was an ohev shalom. And that is something that he no doubt learnt from Hillel here in Pirkei Avot, and which we know he learnt from Aharon HaKohen. But the most important thing is it's not enough to be an ohev shalom. Because you can be an ohev shalom and you can say, okay, I've compromised, but the other guy didn't compromise. And therefore, I can't be b'shalom. I have to live my life without those people because they're not willing to compromise and to do the shalom thing with me. No, no, it's not enough. You have to be a rodef shalom. You have to chase after peace. You have to make every effort that the shalom that you understand to be such a central theme in your life is something that, you, in, in the same ways, when you really want something, you don't just give up at the first hurdle. You go to the next hurdle and the next challenge, and you make sure that you're going to do everything you can and jump through every hoop and over every hurdle in order to achieve that objective. If you understand the importance of shalom, you're not going to make do with being an ohev shalom. You're not going to be an, an armchair shalom person. You're going to make sure you're a proactive shalom person. You're going to be a rodef shalom. Obviously, Reb Nossen speaks about Aaron Akoin and says that Aaron Akoin would make peace between two people. He would go to one of them and he would say, do you know, I know the other person is so upset about the way that it's turned out between you guys. He's crying and he's embarrassed to go out because he doesn't want to see you because he knows how upset you are with him. And the other guy eventually would... Would, you know, this guy would say, okay, okay, I'll make peace with him. Then he'd go to the, to the second guy. He said, you won't believe it. The first guy, I just went to see him. He's so desperately upset that he's not your friend and that things have not worked out between you. And in that way, by the way, that's the, that is the reason why we know that telling white lies for the sake of peace is not considered to be sheker. For the sake of peace, there's nothing that is sheker. Everything is MS. And for that reason, Aaron Cohen was considered to be not just an Ohev Shalom, he was also a Rodef Shalom. He chased after peace. He found peace so incredibly important 
that he would make sure at every stage that he would seek a peaceful resolution and a peaceful solution to the people who didn't get on with each other, for the people who didn't get on, on with each other. And we finish the Mishnah. The Mishnah ends, Oyev es Somebody who is an Oyev Shalom, an Oyev of Shalom, if you want to understand their personality, they are lovers of people. If you're a lover of people, not in theory, not on paper, you're not somebody who did a PhD on people. You're a practical lover of people. To the extent, you want to bring them closer to God through God's Torah. That's your purpose. You see somebody who's lost some Torah, you don't consider them to be outsiders. You love people. They're insiders. The only thing is they're not yet perfect. They didn't yet achieve that objective of being as proficient in Torah knowledge or observance as you are. And therefore, Makarvan la Torah. So in Oyev Shalom, Veroyev Shalom, if you want to understand that the mirror of that is, that means if you want to understand their personality, said Hillel, they are Oyev Esabriyos and Makarvan la Torah. And we're just going to read the next Mishnah quickly um, and we'll leave it at that. This is Mishnah Yud Gimel in Perik Aleph of Pirke Avot. Hillel used to add, and this he did in the vernacular. Remember that he came from Bovel. What language do they speak in Bovel? Not now. I'm talking about in the days of Hillel. What language did they speak? They spoke Aramaic. That's the language that they spoke. The language of the Gemara and certain parts of the Mishnah, words in the Mishnah, but mainly the Gemara is Aramaic. That was the language that they spoke in Bavel. Well, Hillel came to Eretz Yisrael, so he had to learn to speak Hebrew. But here he said things in, in, Babyl in Babylonian language, in Aramaic. And the reason he said them in Aramaic, there's two opinions. Either because these are things that he already said in Bavel, and he's just repeating them here as ideas that he came up with very early in life that he stuck with. Or actually, these are things that he said in Eretz Yisrael, and he said them in his vernacular, because he wanted to stress their importance and say it in the original language of, um, of the way he spoke, so that people wouldn't think that he was somehow forced to say it or he'd heard it from someone else. This was original material from Hillel Hazokim, from Hillel himself. Nagad Shema, if somebody is known as a Nagad, do you know what a Nagad is? Neged, always tough, always against, always pushy. Avad Shemei, Negad Shema, if he has a name of being pushy and aggressive and he upsets people by the, the way he behaves towards them, Avad Shemei, he will lose his name. Remember that if you are always tough and always aggressive and always critical and always pushy, people may listen to you because they're forced to listen to you, but ultimately your name will be lost. You won't be taken seriously as a person. You may be taken seriously as a boss. You may be taken seriously because people are scared of you. But ultimately, your inner essence is never going to flourish and your name will be lost. Udullah Moisif, Yosef. Somebody who doesn't um, increase the levels of their study of Torah. Udullah Moisif, Yosef. He will forget all his Torah. That means... Unless you continue to learn, I don't know if you know that some people, everybody in fact, at some stage in their life, 
comes to the conclusion that they know everything. Have you met such people? They're all around us, people who think they know everything. Why? Because I learned it in school. I learned it in college. I le- whenever you learned it, said Hillel, you have to be constantly a student of information. You have to constantly be curious to learn more. You have to increase your levels of knowledge, particularly in Torah, because if you don't, that which you will have, you'll have learnt already will be forgotten. You can't imagine that you're going to be able to sustain a level of knowledge unless you continue to be a student of new knowledge. Then he says, Somebody who doesn't learn at all, somebody who doesn't take study seriously, who imagines that they can wing it in life, they are Ketola Chayev. You know what that means? Ketola is death. Chayev Misa. He, he, the person is not, it's not worth to be alive if you're not somebody who takes the concept of study, information, knowledge, uh, being a student of information seriously. If somebody says it's not important, then why are they alive? What are they alive for? They're just born and they live here like, like animals live here, like insects live here, like plants live here. They don't have any um, self-worth or self-importance. They don't have any self-esteem. You get self-esteem through the fact that you have learned something new, that you've increased your knowledge. And finally he says, Somebody who um, takes advantage of his Torah knowledge, who abuses it, by, um, and we said this, we had a previous Mishnah which said something similar. We're going to have other Mishnahs which say something similar as well. But this is in Hillel's words. Somebody who takes advantage of his Torah knowledge, somebody who abuses his position of power as a Torah scholar, if you can imagine such a thing, people who lord it over others because they happen to have had a better education in Torah. And this was the opposite of Hillel, right? Hillel represented a great Torah scholar who was a lover of the masses and wanted to make himself available for the masses at any given time. But he says, if you don't do that, cholof, it's, um, you'll be lost from the world. You're not considered somebody who uh, God found worth creating. That's a very, very powerful statement. And you have people who get very taken up with their own world of scholarship and they don't realize that scholarship is not there as a commodity for them. It's not something to be traded for your advantage. It's something to be used for other people's advantage. What you know, you should teach others. What you have as information, you should share with others freely and at every available moment. And that's indeed what Hillel did. That's what he wanted to do from Shmaya and Aftalion and what he did with his uh, base Hillel and how he taught Shammai. He was a mentor of Shammai and Shammai created his own yeshiva, his base Shammai. And we know that Hillel lived up to every single one of the things that he projected through the statements that he made in these two Mishnayas that we've just learned today Mishnah Yud Beis and Mishnah Yud Gimel. And next week we'll continue with Mishnah Yud Dalad, which contains further quotations of Hillel, but we'll leave it here for today.